Welcome, folks. This is Steve Adubato. This is, in fact, the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour with my colleague, friend, associate, trusted advisor, consigliere, if, in fact, I'm quoting from the godfather, Mary Gamba. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Steve? Great. This is one of the first original programs we're doing with the great folks at AM 970 as well in New York the great radio station in New York, as well as our podcast. First one of 2019. It is. It's a whole new year, a whole bunch of new leadership topics, issues, challenges. So I'm looking forward to really kicking off the new year. You into resolutions at all? I'm actually not. I feel like whatever resolution (laughs) I set for myself, I end up breaking. So I'm not a big resolution person. How about you? Uh, No. Yeah. Not at all. Uh, Just trying to be the best I can be. Every day. With a very flawed product over here. Uh, (laughs) Just trying to work at it every day. And for those who are um, checking us out, the Leadership Hour, uh, Mary, tell folks before we get our good friend Tommy Weber on the line talking about sports, baseball, and leadership. And Tommy's great on this stuff. Mary, tell folks how they can check us out. Yeah, absolutely. There's a variety of ways. So first and foremost, on Facebook, they can find us at Steve Adubato, Ph.D., and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. They can follow you on Twitter, Steve Adubato, and they can also subscribe to this podcast, which is fantastic. If how they do hear do us, that? If they hear us on the radio, if they like what they are hearing, they can subscribe and listen to our past editions of the Leadership Hour on Apple iTunes and Google Play, and you can give us a good rating if you really like what you hear. And if you don't, keep it to yourself. Yeah, I think that's a great leadership lesson right there. (laughs) (laughs) We want and need the feedback. And by the way, talking about constructive, honest, hard to hear, but important feedback is a big theme for us. And I'm sure it'll come up in our conversation with our guest who's about to join us. It's our good friend, Tommy Weber, who is a professor of sport management, St. John's University Graduate School, and the coach. He's a coach at Brewster Whitecaps. Cape Cod, what a great league this is, Cape Cod Baseball League, 2017 champions, and a player advocate. Good to see you, leader and coach Tommy Weber. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I feel like I have finally arrived. (laughs) (laughs) But where have you arrived? That is the question. (laughs) Well, I leave that up to everyone else. uh, It's always a thrill, always a thrill. Well, Tommy was great with us on the PBS side. We brought him into do our one-on-one show, and the, the response, the feedback was terrific. We're seeing on PBS as well as on Fios, and not just in New Jersey, but in New York as well. And I will say that Tommy's appearance with us on PBS caused Mary and I, when we were brainstorming about guests talking about leadership, I don't want to belabor this, Tom, but by the way, if you want to check out Tom on Twitter, he sends out some great stuff, and that's what triggered this. Tom, tell folks how people can follow you on Twitter. Tommy Weber Beeble, at Tommy Weber Beeble, and you can check me out at TommyWeberBaseball.com. All my stuff is up, some really cool videos, especially uh, my players, the stuff that we do with our guys is really, really, some really cool hip inside stuff. So uh, I recommend every, and it's all free. And the other thing is that while Tommy's a great baseball coach and a leader, he's playing the piano during a lot of this. <laughs> I'm saying, what is this guy, uh, a renaissance man? <laughs> the, the music always been a part of your life, Tom? Absolutely not. I didn't touch a musical instrument until I was in my 30s. I literally never touched an instrument until I was in my 30s. What? And uh Yeah, you know, wow. um, the fallacy of you have to be a kid in order to retain is absurd. You know, you learn just as well. As, as a matter of fact, I think you have an advantage as an adult. I know I did. And it's just something that I have literally taken to, like I take to most things. I, I'm a type A guy, and I believe in craft, and I love the process. You know, it's just really this wonderfully 
therapeutic passion that I've come upon that's been just a great, great gift in my life, a great gift. And when you check Tommy out, he's actually giving out a lot of, you know, providing a lot of valuable tips, advice about life, baseball, leadership. He's sitting at the piano, he's playing, he's talking in between, and it's just, it's a great way to do things. And if I could actually play an instrument, I would. Tommy, let me ask you this. I make a lot about, and you, you know, I've talked about this in the past, we have two boys, uh, 14 and 16, as we do this program, who play baseball. Mary has two very talented athletes as well who are into hockey, correct? Hockey mm -hmm. mom yeah. and leader Mary Gamba? That is absolutely I'm, correct. I'm a big fan of Will Gamba. That kid is good. Yeah, He's good. thank you. Yeah. How does he – whoa, how do you know Will Gamba? <laughs> I, I know all things. I know what I want to know. The kid's a player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kid's a player. He's going places. But here's the question, Tom. I make a lot about the connection between, quote-unquote, sports, whether it's baseball, hockey, whatever – and leadership. Am I making too much of it? Not at all. I don't think you can make enough of it. And I think it's a question now in the 21st century with all we have and all the care that we're able to bestow on our kids, which is unprecedented. When you really think about it, historically, this is a generation of kids that has gotten more care than probably all the generations that have come before them put together. We're more affluent. We're more ambulatory. We're smarter. We're better educated. Yet, our kids are more anxious. Our kids, I believe, have lower self-esteem. Uh, and I think that speaks to the, the leadership void. I really do believe that. And I see that in my own game in baseball. I think players and coaches have an adversarial relationship that I think has to change. What do you mean? Adversarial? Well, you see it. Uh, we all see it. Mary sees it because mm -hmm. hockey is... You know, hockey is an incredible investment of time, energy, and money on the part of everyone. Mm -hmm. And the perceived stakes are high. And any time that happens, people get crazy. And coaches believe there's way more on the line than there is. So they start to think about their own future and what this means to them. And the player starts to become a second consideration. And I've always said this, my only job. I spoke to a group of parents yesterday, and I you know, I make some enemies when I talk because I say things that people don't want to hear. And I said, I don't, I don't care about you. I don't care about the league. I don't care about the team. All my concern is with the player. I want to act in what's in the best interest of my player. And I stand between what stands between them and where they want to go. And I'll take a bullet for my guys. And I'm indebted to my players for all they give me. And it's a two-way street. I'm loyal to them. And I think we need more than that. And I'm also vulnerable to my players. And what I does think that mean, vulnerable to them, Tom? By the way, listening to Tommy Weber, who's not just a leader, he's a baseball coach. He's a professor of sport management at St. John's University Graduate School. He gets it. What does that mean to be vulnerable? I tell them I'm in with them. This means you mean as much to me as this means to me. And I think that's a critical step you have to take if you really want to serve as a manager or a coach or a mentor or a parent. You become a servant and a servant in the literal sense. You have to serve the player because the reality is I can't pitch. I can't catch. I can't hit. So at some point, I've got to emancipate my players and trust them and tell them, listen, it's your game. You're going to be the reason we win or we lose. And I trust that you're better at doing this than I am. And at that wow. moment, I believe self-esteem can now skyrocket. Otherwise, you're enslaved to a process, to rules, to protocol, to all the things that we all remember were a colossal drag to us. Wow. That's Tommy Weber. I'm Steve Adubato. This is Mary Gamba. You're about to hear in a moment. This is the Leadership Hour on AM 970, the podcast as well. 
We've had some incredible leaders that have joined us over time. By the way, you can also check us out on our website that Mary talked about, stand-deliver.com. Mary, I want you to jump in here because you and I have had many conversations about, quote, coaches, their relationship with players, Mm -hmm. and its connection. It's interesting. We keep calling it leadership. Ain't it life? It is life. Talk to Tommy. Yeah, and Tommy and I had a little bit of an offline back and forth because Tommy was a hockey player, which is very. Wait, didn't we look at his picture? <laughs> I didn't, but maybe you did. I, did I, not I see. looked him up. Tommy mm-hmm. played. Yeah, no, Tommy was all state athlete, right, Tommy? Yes. Yes. I played on an epic team, 66 straight wins, national record. It informed the rest of my life with respect to how I wanted to beat the golden rule, I believe, of coaching, parenting, mentoring is coach as you would like to be coached. And, and that experience certainly set that up. So, Tom, you were all state? I was all American. Oh, my, oh my God. I was all uh, neighborhood in North New Jersey. <laughs> I was I was. Well, really how about mo- this? We have a connection because we played, we practiced at Branchbrook Park no, no. at 2.45 in the morning. He's this right. was in the days of Anthony Imperiali's, those days. The ice rink in Newark in Branchbrook Park? That's correct. Oh that's God. correct. I, I digress. I apologize. Oh, Mary, that's all go right. ahead. No, and luckily <laughs> ice time is still a factor, as all yes. you know, as Tommy knows. But I think just on the flip side, what the coaches and parents really miss nowadays is just as Tommy said, he was positively impacted by the leadership of the coaches that served him. The opposite sometimes, especially as a hockey mom, I see is true. There are kids, countless, countless kids that I see either crying, and I'm talking, you know, eight, nine, ten years old because they were either benched and they were told they're not good enough. They were told they're a liability and that's why they're not getting the ice time. And that can demoralize an 8, 9, 10-year-old or they're put out in a situation that they're not ready for and then they get scolded when they come back to the bench. And those are life lessons for better or for worse that I don't think that these coaches as leaders realize the amount of power they have over the impressions that they're making. And a lifelong impact. And the lifelong impact. Tommy, you're up. Go. Uh, You know, the Brooklyn in me says those guys need to get, as we used to say, slapped off the head. Um, (laughs) And unfortunately, that's been legislated out of the dialogue. When I hear stories like that, I could cry because I think one of the words that is missing a lot when we coach our kids is the word love. I Love? love my guys. I love my guys. You know, love is not only the domain of someone who's associated or in in love with someone or a parent or whatever. I love my players because I was a player. So I see a lot of me. I see a lot of young me in them. How would I like a guy in my position to talk to me, to come to me, to say, hey, listen, you know, right now you're not doing this right or not say it. A lot of success Hmm. in everything we do, whether it's cooking, parenting, you know, whatever it might be, the piano, Debussy said that music is in the silence between the notes. It's what you don't say. It's the pauses you make. Any great conversationalist leaves you hanging a little bit, and then he says something or she says something. Sometimes with my players, I don't say anything. By design, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. Because here's the deal. When a kid makes a mistake or he stinks, as we've all done, and every kid has, that's the one thing we all have in common, from LeBron James <laughs> to the worst player in the world. We've all been terrible. Yeah. Okay? So when a kid does that, nobody knows he's been terrible more than the kid. Tom, stay right there. Stay right there, Tom. I'm thinking, by the way, we're doing this. The Super Bowl have already been played, but I'm thinking back to the playoff game with the Chicago Bears. The kicker, uh, Brian, um, our good friend Brian here running things in the studio. Brian, what was his name? 
Cody Parkey. So Cody Parkey, who was a very good kicker. By the way, I was a place kicker in high school and college, and trust me, people don't think it's an athletic position, but I'll say this. You're on the line, and you don't make that kick. And I remember kicking for the state championship at SS Catholic High School back in the day against Seton Hall Prep, and the coach telling me we had an extra point that was going to win the game for us, and he grabbed me by the face mask, and he said, quote, Joe Marino, God rest your soul. He said to me, Adubato, you better not miss this kick. And I thought, wow, how motivating. Did, and you, did you make the I made kick? the kick. And by the way, Seton Hall wound up winning the game two minutes later on an interception. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that guy, Cody Parkey, got up and said, I blew this. It was on me. But I watched people around him. Tommy, there's a point to this. Trust me. They could have ostracized him. They could have said, you blew it. You missed that field goal. We were going to the championship. What is great leadership for those around a kicker or anyone else who, quote, blows it? What are they supposed to do, Tom? Here's the first thing I say to all my guys every year. And they look at me like I have two heads when I say it because it's so anathema to their experience. I say, I'm giving the game back to you. I'm not counting pitches, calling pitches. You know why? You're going to own your game. Because the only way you could feel great about yourself is if you own what you do. I can have the Rosetta Stone of baseball, but if I need to constantly remind you of it, then I own you. You don't own the game. And I tell them, here's the first rule. The fate of Western man doesn't hang in the balance. Nothing is that important. Nothing. we got to win, though, Tommy, right? Yeah, we do. I will step on your throat to win. But if we lose, guess what? Only one team gets to win. So you had better be getting something more out of this experience then the golden chalice at the end, or the trophy, or the Stanley Cup, or the ring, whatever it is. Or the scholarship to college, Mary Gamba, no? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Is that what it, it, you got to have the one thing, or is it the process, the experience, the relationships? Well, it be the process, because as my wonderful sage, God bless my father, he gets so much smarter. As I get older, he used to say, you know what? It doesn't matter. There are two billion Chinese in the world who don't care that you're even around. Have some perspective on your smallness. (laughs) We are pretty small, aren't we? Right. I mean, if you understand, I mean, I addressed these parents yesterday and I told them 11.7 scholarships. There are only about 60 fully funded baseball teams. (sighs) There are 30 guys on the team. You do the math. If you really want your kid to get a scholarship, let him play the trombone. Nobody plays the trombone. (laughs) Every school has a band. He'll get a full scholarship. Mary, Mary, go ahead, react. Oh, goodness, no. And I think the hardest thing is, I think we all know it in our core, right? And and I know. We know that everything that Tommy is saying is accurate, that this is how— We may not want to hear it, but— Well, we don't want to hear it. We want to believe that our child is the best, the brightest, the fastest, the best hockey player, the best trombone player that ever existed. And it's a matter of also managing expectations for yourself and for your child and coaches and leaders. And again, to tie this back to— leadership because that's really what we're all about. They need to not only know it, but they need to practice it on a daily basis, whether you're getting ready for the county or state championship game, whether everything is hanging on that, like you would use the example, the coach just grabbed you by the face mask and said, you better get this. In that moment, we can't deny the fact that that moment is the biggest moment in your life when you were that child. Because I still remember it, you know, 40 plus years later, I remember it. Exactly. So it is a matter of, sure, you know, there's 2 billion people in China that, you know, obviously this isn't going to impact, but it is important to that child's life in that moment right then and there. Oh, I mean, listen, what Tommy's saying, look, yes, we want to win. Tommy said, quote, I'll step on someone's throat to win. But the question becomes, how do you 
motivate, mm -hmm. realize it matters in that moment without demotivating and hurting a kid's for the rest of his life. What does a great leader do in your opinion, Mary? And then I'll come back to you, Tom. Yeah, no, I think that it's By about... By the way, Steve Adubato here. This is the Leadership Hour with Mary Gamba. We're on the phone with the great Tommy Weber. By the way, tell Tommy again real quick how people can check out your good stuff after this podcast. TommyWeberBaseball.com, at TommyWeberBball on Twitter. Not that we're into branding or promotion, but go ahead. But that's what we're all about. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Mary. And I think, not I think, I know, it's a balancing act. Steve and I have talked about it. You know, I can write chapter and verse on really what is right and what is wrong. And it's changed over the last 10, 15 years in my experience with sports. And I think the main message here is whether you're leading a business, whether you're leading a family, it's setting expectations. It's having that balance because I also don't want to see either of my children accept mediocrity. I don't want to see either of my children not working hard mm. to reach for their dreams because you want to know what sometimes you're going to do your best and it's not going to be good enough and that's okay but I do want you to do your best every single time and if you're tired you still need to do your best because you have a team and you need to do the right thing but it's balancing if it doesn't work out on the back end communicating that it's okay because you did your best so Tommy to Mary's point how is it that you communicate go ahead Tom pick it up I hear myself saying a word emancipation Emancipation. I think, what, I think leaders are about emancipation. I do. I think all these great guys in business are emancipators. And when you talk to them, there's a common theme that runs through it all. Well, what I did is I created an environment where I could hire really good people and I got them together and then I allowed them to run free. You know, maybe that's why I love the music thing, because my music friends are free. I would love to create a baseball jam session where I get guys in a room, in a, in a facility, on a field, and we have a conversation about what it is they want to do and watch them invent, improvise, innovate, all the things that tap into the great resources that are in our brain, that protocol, rules, dogma, all of this stuff kind of short circuits. And I believe if, if you let them go, I think it also emancipates caretakers, parents, mentors, and coaches, because wow. now you don't have to be the best. It's okay not to succeed because you're succeeding based on your effort, your character, your commitment to the team, your relationship with other players. I just think there's a treasure trove of things that we could get if we gave up control, we would get control. Tom, before I let you go, are you saying great leaders redefine what quote-unquote winning means? Yes, because, look, if the only <laughs> 50 guys on one team in the Super Bowl win, everyone else can't be a loser. I'm sorry. They're just not. And if a kid doesn't get a scholarship, he's not a failure. The fact that I'm not going to go and take Chuck Lavelle's job at tour with the Rolling Stones doesn't make me a bad piano player. Oh, just to be clear, the fact that the Today Show has not asked me to be a host doesn't make me a failure, right? And let me say this, and I'll say this, <laughs> I tell this to my producer wife all the time. She's the she best, is, by the way. Carolyn's the best. My wife is wonderful, but we have this argument all the time. It's not about the word talent is so overused. If Steve Adubato sat in that chair, Steve Adubato would be the host. As long as you didn't do anything stupid, okay? Let's hey, hey, let's on. not go there, Tommy. Right, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> as long as you didn't be stupid, you would be the host for the next 20 years making $25 million a year because you're as good as anybody else. It's just that there's only one job. Only one guy gets that job. It doesn't mean Steve Adubato's not as good as anybody else. It's just that there's one job. Wow. 
It's so interesting the way we define, and you might say this isn't a leadership question, but it is, how you frame this, and I'm a big fan of the word framing. If you frame it like people say, hey, Steve, you don't do as much national. You know, I do national commentary when I can and when it works and when someone wants me. But like, oh, you do regional stuff, so you're not like a success. The point is this, how you define winning, how you define success, having quality of life, having impact on people, doing something you love, having great relationships with people. How is that not winning, Tommy? How about being in the moment? How about being in the... Like right right now, we're doing this, and it's great. What's better than this? You know, you. I heard you talk about resolutions. I don't make resolutions. You know, we're Italians. We're, 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 we're too pissed off to make resolutions. Um, <laughs> too busy looking for a fight. But I hear oh, man. And God, don't forget no, Tommy's from day. Brooklyn. Go ahead. Right. Every day. Every day I say the words. I've never done this before. I'm not a spiritual guy, although I have tremendous admiration for people of faith. I really do. Faith is just a wonderful thing to have. I wish I had more of it. I say, I'm thankful. I utter those words because it centers me in today. I am thankful. I woke up. Some people didn't today. You know, I've got a lot of really cool stuff. And Steve, this is like your situation. There is no better person, and I have a lot of humility, but I am the perfect fit to be a part of the staff on the Staten Island Yankees. I'm from Brooklyn. My office is on Staten Island. I went to Wagner College. I have all this experience. But again, there's only 30 teams. And there are only certain amount of jobs. Now, everyone who talks to me says, oh, it's a no-brainer. Oh, it's a no-brainer. No, it's not. I may not be on the staff of the standout. Would I love that to happen? Is it a bucket list thing? Do I think I would be perfect fit for that? Absolutely. It's my sweet spot. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean, although I think this in my quiet moments, I'll admit to this, I'm a failure. Wow. Before we let Tommy go, he's got me thinking a lot of things. Leadership true great leadership is not simply about getting the job, the scholarship, the championship. It's about so much more. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, Tommy, in our book, Mary's book, my book, our great friend Brian Brodeur and his team here on the Leadership Hour, you are not just a leader, but a winner. And you helped more people than you can imagine over the last 20 plus minutes. I know we were supposed to do a 10 minute segment with Tommy. We wound up going longer because he had so many interesting things to say. Hey, Tommy, cannot thank you enough. Give our best to your lovely partner and bride, Carolyn. She's been a great friend to us, for us, for many, many years. And uh, you, you made a difference today, and I can't thank you enough. And that makes it a good day, right? Well, you guys are the best. You know, your heart's in the right place, and that's all we can really do. And as Mary and I talked offline, you know, she is a warrior. You know, these are the kind of parents we need more of. And anytime you guys want to get together and talk or whatever, I'm always here. I love this is what I love to do. I've been having this conversation for my entire life. Thanks, Tommy Weber. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Tommy. Take care. Mary, it's in the moment. Stay on this. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I mean, I could talk about this all day long. As you know, you and I have had uh, we often do <laughs> countless conversations. And just to about hear, sports, kids, leadership, life. And really how it's all tied together. And again, you had said it before, and it's so true. Whether it's sports, whether it's gymnastics, whether it's band, whether it's your child's in the chess club. By the way, any... excuse me, because your son Joey is a tremendous drummer. Yes, and he recently told me he wants to be an actor now. And now he tried out for a musical. Picture this leadership. Wow. He says, I am going to try out for the musical. And he, I said, he said you this. You didn't say 
Joey, you should. Nope. And then I said, but Joey, you've never really, you know, sang before. You've never had any vocal training. He's like, I don't care. I said, but you've never danced before. And he said, that's okay. I have a video. I'm going to watch the lady, you know, whoever it was, he watched the video and sure thing. He got his part in Beauty and the Beast as a candlestick maker or something. And he made that decision that I'm just going to do it. Point being, Is that leadership? That's leadership. Explain that to folks. Because someone might say, that's ambition. That's not it's leadership, not. you it's, say. I, I say. By the way, Mary Gamma's talking. Steve Adubato here. This is the Leadership Hour on AM 970 as well as our podcast. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Absolutely. And it is all leadership, whether it's a child making that decision of what he or she wants to do and then putting themselves in the best place, the best frame of mind. And as Tommy Weber just said a few minutes ago, being present in that moment and being thankful for the opportunities. And, and our children do have a lot of opportunities, but that's because we as parents need to make sure that we are guiding them in the correct way, in a healthy way, not just to be these little robots. Uh, I'm going to complicate things for you. Even though Mary and I wind up talking about our kids, it's really about your kids. It's about kids. It's about sports. It's about the lessons uh, involved in sports and athletics and other activities and leadership in life. But ironically, we're taping on Monday in Brian's studio. By the way, give a shout-out to your team, Brian, uh, the name of the company. Yeah, is. here we are at East Main Media in Little Falls, New Jersey. i got a great team of people here who I rely on, and they make everything work seamlessly. Absolutely. Yeah, we rely on them, too. So last night, our son Nick, 16, mm-hmm. baseball player, Seton Hall Prep, plays on a club team called the Nationals, all great. But he came to me out a month ago, and he said, Dad, I'm going to be the head coach of the rec team, the 16-year-old rec basketball team here in Montclair. I said, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? Basketball. You don't play basketball, Nick. He said, no, but I can coach it. So the point of the story is that I said, okay, sure. And these are kids that he's been friends with for 10 years. Uh, I used to coach them, and they would let parents coach kids in baseball, and I've known these kids forever. These are 10, 12 kids that he's known, right, and he's close to. But he's not on the team. He, I said, Nick, did they ask you to be the head coach? Yes. So I thought, oh, what a wonderful leadership opportunity for Nick. And he was saying how excited he was the first game. He actually dressed up like he was Pat Riley back in the 80s. That's fantastic. I, I'll show you the picture soon. I can't wait the to whole see it. Bit. And I go to the game last night. They're playing up at a place called Hoop Heaven and Whippany. I'm watching the game. They're a little bit behind, and Nick's got 11 players, and he's trying to put some players in, take some players out, make tough choices. They're down by five, which in a rec basketball league for 16-year-olds is like 20 because they don't score a lot of points. He makes a decision to take the second team out after they're only playing for a few minutes, the whole five players, and put the other starting five back in, and they start winning, and they wind up winning the game, scoring a lot of points. But I watched the bench. I watched the players he took out who were arguing with him and saying, Nick, I want to go back in. And Nick was trying to pay attention and watch the game and calm them down. And he finally you know, told one kid, listen, if you don't shut up, I'm going to throw you out. Mm-hmm. And I got upset. I was across the court. And I was giving him a sign like, Nick, calm down, calm down, because he's got a temper. I don't know where he got that from. The point of this whole story is after the game, they won the game, and they're on text messaging, and a bunch of kids are texting Great, we won the game. And some other kids are like, well, Nick didn't put me in the game. I'm quitting. This isn't no good. And Nick's like, they asked me to coach. They wanted me to be the leader. And look what happens. They don't appreciate it. I said, Nick, now he's in an unfair position because he's a 16-year-old coaching 16-year-olds. Yeah. And we'll get a parent on the bench in the future. But the point of this long-winded story is, as I was listening to his frustration, I said to my quote of the chapter in Lessons in Leadership, my book, Great Leaders Sometimes, Which chapter piss people off. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, Nick, some of the kids are peeved. Yes. They didn't get enough playing time. Yes. But you wanted to win the game. 
But they turned around and said, Nick, you're not being fair to me. Plus, our parents paid for us to play. I'm saying a 16-year-old dealing with that? Mm -hmm. Go, Mary. That is a lot. And bravo to Nick for, number one, stepping up and doing that, putting himself in that position, dealing with it well. But it does. It presents a whole range of challenges, especially to be that tough leader, to make those tough decisions. Can a 16-year-old lead other? It's not even 16. You should be 36, 46. Can a peer lead a peer is Mm -hmm. the question. I think that's definitely more challenging. And I know we'll get into that more in our future podcast because we have brought that up. That's not about sports. It's not. peers leading peers. All of a sudden, everybody's on the same level. Yeah. Now you're the leader. Exactly. And I believe, you and I have talked about this all the time, that when I was in college, I always had a hard time working in teams because I was that person that wanted to lead. It worked well in many situations. Needed to lead. Yeah, I had to. If you want it done right, do it yourself. (laughs) And oftentimes it worked out great because you get the slackers who are just looking to you to make decisions. But every once in a while, you get that person that also has that type A personality. So it is balancing, managing emotions and expectations of that group that you're leading, whether they're your age or whether Very difficult. By the way, do you ever watch our daughter, Olivia, who's eight? I won't keep talking about our kids, but she wanted to watch Pitch Perfect 1 Mm because she missed one. Do you ever see it? Oh, I love that movie. Okay. Do you ever see the scene where the one girl, I forget her name, the blonde haired girl, she's Mm -hmm. the leader and she picks all the songs. Oh, absolutely. And it's got to be done a certain way. Yes. And the other girl comes in and says, well, we're not winning. Why don't we try Mm -hmm. it a different way? No, I've got the thing. I guess the harmonica, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Whatever it is. The the pitch thing. Yeah, the pitch thing. No, I'm the leader. You can't, don't change anything. If not, you're going to get out of here. And the other ones are like, well, how about we. Just take different points of view. No, I'm the leader. She kept repeating, I'm the leader. But if you leader. realize all of the ones who had followed, with the exception of the new girl that comes into the a cappella group to yes. sing, all of the other ones, even though they do say, well, maybe we should listen, they're very apprehensive. They're because afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid of her because she's yes. obviously very forceful. But the moral of the story is when you finish watching the movie, it worked out great so to who's take the lead? in. So hold on one second. Mm-hmm. And you're clearly not like this young woman in the movie who was acting and was very mm-hmm. domineering and controlling. I had to like her at times, so that's yeah. Right. You're not that rough with people that way. But I'm going to say this: Is the true leader the one who spoke up and said, "Wait a minute, we're not winning in Pitch Perfect, right? We're not winning where we're doing it. Maybe we should play a different song. Maybe we should try a different routine." That takes courage and leadership. Mm-hmm. Or is it the other one who says, "No, I'll be the leader and I'll control everything." I think it should be the leader who was the true leader saying she had to control everything, being open-minded to others' ideas. Which took a lot. Which did take a lot, yeah. So that, to me, is the great leader. Of course, everyone can be a leader, and having that other woman come in and say, hey, you know, I want to recommend that we, you know, add this other element and mix two songs together. Right. And... That's a leader. That's a leadership trait. But the true leader is the one that then takes that feedback and applies it to something real. That's so interesting. By the way, on a future Leadership Hour podcast, a radio show, Mary and I are going to talk about this subject. The leader who has an idea, mm-hmm. who is a strategic thinker and is good at connecting the dots, and he or she says, this is the direction we're going in. I'd like feedback. And then when he or she opens it up for feedback, he or she gets, well, Let's not make it hypothetical. Steve, the reason this won't work is, and one hears that too much and says, well, then you be the leader. Well, then what ideas do you have? And all of a sudden that leader becomes very defensive Mm -hmm. because he or she thinks, well, because if he or she came up with it and they thought of it, why can't you just go along? Right. We have talked about You're this. Like, right. I, I, first of all, congrats to you for being the leader, especially in 2019 now, and admitting that it was you. It's not, I have this friend and a friend. 
may or may not have these great ideas that no one wants to listen to, but it is. It's a matter of that leader then the explaining. Way, Pandora's box. We've got eight seconds. All right. Well, in eight seconds, Can we, we will, do this on another? On the, we we'll will open do up this, the next one on this? Yes, absolutely. But, so tell everyone, by the way, that's Mary Gamba. She's the best. We want to thank our friend Tommy Weber for being with us today. He was Really good. This is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour. Tell Mary one more time how, tell people one more time how they can connect with us and get more free stuff yeah, and information. Yeah, no, the free stuff is on our website, stand-deliver.com. There's free articles, columns on all of these topics and more. And then you can also follow Steve on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD, and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, PhD, that's Facebook. And then on Twitter, Steve Adubato. And subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes and on Google+. Do you mind if I do this? I'm going to thank our good friend Larry Downs at New Jersey Resources for their support of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour and all of our clients at Stand and Deliver, the folks that we do leadership and communication coaching, training, seminars for RWJ, Barnabas Health, Gibbons, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Horizon, as well as Hackensack Meridian Health, New Jersey Resources, as we said before, mm -hmm. Valley Bank, uh, Cohen Resnick and MD Advantage, all those folks that we are honored, blessed to be able to coach, mentor, train, and provide valuable leadership service to. Hey, listen, once again, the Leadership Hour has been fun, engaging. I learned a lot. Hope you did as well, and we will catch you next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. At Englewood Health, we believe that all citizens need to be informed about the healthcare issues that affect their lives. That's why we're proud to support important healthcare programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the PNC Foundation, which supports early childhood education through Grow Up Great, a multi-year initiative to help prepare children from birth to age five for success in school and life. St. Joseph's Health, a passion for healing. It's what's inside us. Rowan University, educating New Jersey leaders, partnering with New Jersey businesses, transforming New Jersey's future. NJM Insurance Group. And by MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. We're in Morven, in the Morven Museum and Gardens. We are honored to be joined by the First Lady of the great state of New Jersey, uh, Tammy Snyder. Murphy, good to see you. Thank you for having me. This is an important night. Um, we're not just hanging around at Morven. This is a night to talk about uh, adverse childhood experiences. Uh, a group of folks are getting together as a major grant, a $2 million seed grant from the Burke Foundation, the Nicholson Foundation to deal with um, these issues around adverse childhood experiences. You care deeply about these children, don't you? Mm -hmm. I do, Talk I do. About these, what, what, your interpretation of these adverse experiences. We got the clinicians to talk about it, but sure. you care deeply. Uh, well, I would say, you know, these are experiences that um, happen to probably all of us. Um, from what I understand, every two out of three people who you meet have experienced at least one of these horrible 
situations. And you, if you think about what they are, what is it? It's, it's physical abuse, physical neglect. It's mental abuse and neglect. It's domestic violence. It's uh, you know incarceration. It's sexual abuse. It's sexual right. abuse. I mean, it, there's there's ten of these adverse um, uh, childhood um, experiences, and and uh, it's pretty scary to think that two out of three of us have have uh, have endured at least one of these. I was talking to the first lady before we got on the air about our initiative. And you'll see the website uh, on the air. right from the start, initiative funded by um, Terrell and Nicholson and some others. The state government, the Murphy administration, cares deeply about children birth to three. Yes. And their caregivers. Sure. Talk about it. Uh, well, I'd say that, you know, we heard very early on, um, back in January or February, that New Jersey was ranked 45th out of 50th in terms of uh, maternal deaths in the first year of a child's life. And when you dig down, you realize that if you are uh, a a, you know, it's, it's, it breaks down very, very much along um, racial lines. And if you are a, if you're a black child born in the state of New Jersey, your chances of dying in the first year of life are three times greater than that of a white child. If you're a black mother giving birth in New Jersey, your chances of dying in that child's first year of life are five times greater than that of a white woman's. So given that I'm a mother of four, and Phil is the father of four, um, clearly there's a problem. And so I've been digging in ever since then. And the, the whole, you know, all these things are overlapping. Uh, so the adverse childhood experiences um, is, is yet another factor that plays into this whole problem that we're experiencing here in New Jersey. It's so interesting. As First Lady, you, you could be involved in a lot of things, um, but you choose, I mean, you're involved in a lot of energy policy and environmental policy. But you choose to really put a lot of attention into this area. I know there are commissioners, uh, members of the governor's cabinet who we'll be talking to tonight, and we've talked to it other times if you look on our website on right from the start. But you chose to focus on this, and it matters that the First Lady is as involved as you are. Because? I think that uh, the way that I can help is by bringing a spotlight onto this and convening people. Uh, I've traveled around the state of New Jersey literally everywhere. I've met with, with people in foundations, people who are providers, NGOs, healthcare systems, uh, nurse practitioners, doulas. I mean, I have seen it all, all around New Jersey. And the most interesting or the most striking uh, tone that I found is a lot of these different providers or people are, are interested in fixing this problem. They're, they are passionate about fixing it. But they each are in their own little silo. So if they, if someone finds a best practice over here, like down south at Camden, for example, someone up north might be doing the exact same thing, and they may be years behind, or maybe doing some, uh, approaching it in a different way, and they aren't getting the benefit of working together. Does it feel like, to some extent, that we're not? I might get into a philosophical discussion that we're sometimes we're not really one state and sharing a lot of information with each other, and and that we are bifurcated in a lot of ways. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure if I would, uh, the answer, the short answer is yes, but I would also say, you know, even, even within the administration, you know, we started out with, with two cabinet members who were pretty obvious, Department of Health and Division of Children and Family Services. We thought, okay, those, those two make sense. They, they have overlap here. It's more than that though, right? But that's, it's, there's now 12 different cabinet members involved in this infant and maternal 12. health. 12. Because if you think about it, it's, it's, it's everything from insurance 
to incarceration, to food um, access, right. to health care, um, to, um, I'm just trying to think, of transportation. I mean, all of these things are coming together and working against uh, families and, and um, mothers and their children. Father, we talked to the Attorney General today. I would argue that there are legal issues as well. Probably are. There probably are. So, so in many ways, because there are so many players, if mm -hmm. you will, in the Murphy administration involved in these issues, does that make it more challenging or a greater opportunity? I think it's a greater opportunity. Talk about that. It's a greater opportunity because everyone wants to fix this. There's not one person who said, sorry, I'm not available for that meeting. So we, we've had, we started off, like I say, there were just three of us um, in the administration. We've now expanded, when we have these meetings, you know, are kind of a, a review of where we are and what we can do next, everyone shows up. Mm. And it's, it's, more, um, it's more a factor of kind of running out of space in the room as opposed to having a lack of interest or a lack of willingness to work together. We recently, I recently had a summit at Drumthwacket uh, and invited all of these different people from all around the state and had, each, had members from each of the different cabinets who were involved at different tables. Um, we, had, we had 12 tables with 12 topics. Each table had questions they had to answer, and um, they were working not, in, not as much, which is normal, like all the foundations sitting at one table or all the doulas sitting at one table. I mixed everybody up. You, did, you said let's yes. integrate folks. Let's yes. mingle. Let's be. That's, exact, that's what I mean when I say I can convene people. You're so. a facilitator. <laughs> a facilitator. Really? Yeah, maybe. So, so, we, so, we, uh, so each table had their own set of questions, and they had to come up with, um, they could talk for a while, and then at the end they had to come up with kind of short, medium, and long-term solutions or problems that they couldn't, they couldn't grapple with. And it was fascinating. It was really fascinating. It, the, the summit only lasted um, two or three hours, and everybody was, was wishing that it was longer. But I would argue that I'm not sure anyone would have shown up if I'd said it was an all-day <laughs> event. But it really, it really worked, and we've taken a lot of those suggestions back into the administration now. And we're trying to figure out what can we do, how can we take these all, put them together, and come out with the best possible answer. In the time we have with you, because I know there are a lot of other people I want to talk to, I'm curious sure. about this. You and the governor um, have a fascinating, not, fascination not just about people, but about policy, right? About making a difference for people yes. through public policy. Did you both know that early on? I, I can't, I, I mean, I think Phil has always been interested in policy. I mean, he's followed it for his entire life. I would say for me, uh, I, you know, when I meet someone and I can find uh, a lot of, let me, let me put it this way. Phil and I have conversations all the time that'll go like this. This makes, this seems to make a lot of sense. Don't you think so? Hold, hold on, who's saying, wait, I need Phil to Phil will say it or I'll say it. I'll say, this kind of makes sense this notion, let's go in X direction, don't you think? And Phil will say, yeah, why don't you think it's been done before? Or, this doesn't make sense, why do you think we're doing it? So we spend a lot of time just trying to say, you know, very basic, you know, kind of just bringing basic thoughts and impulses to everyday experiences and trying to find the best way forward. And, and a lot of times I think that if we all are, you know, thoughtful human beings, we can probably move the needle a little bit faster than, than if we get caught up in trying to figure out who said what to whom. Which is not productive. No. I want to thank you very much, you honor us by joining us here at Morven, talking about these most important issues um, affecting our most vulnerable children. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. 
If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Hi, this is Steve Adubato. We're at uh, Morven Museum and Gardens for a conference, an important meeting on the subject of overcoming childhood adversity and trauma. A whole range of people from across the state, from across the nation, coming to talk about um, children who are affected by toxic stress, if you will, and two the experts that are joining us here tonight are two longtime friends who have been with us before. Uh, Mary and Christopher, Vice President of Community Health at Horizon Blue Cross and Blue Shield in New Jersey, and Dave Huber, CFO at Horizon. Good to see both of you. Good to see you as well. We were, we were talking right before we got on the air. The issues we're talking about, um, adverse childhood um, impact of, of these events, these, these t horrific events, if you will, otherwise known as ACEs, if you will, right? That's right. Why, was it, why are they a community health issue? Well, they're a community health issue because many of the issues derive from the community and the neighborhood and the blocks in which children live. It's their home that's a, a, an impact, their neighborhoods, their schools. So that's why the solution has to be grassroots and community-based. And what's interesting about this is that because there are some corporations, foundations that are here, by the way, there's $2 million being put up of seed money from the Nicholson Foundation, from the Burke Foundation, to deal with this issue. But Horizon has been very much involved in a whole range of um, public-spirited efforts, including supporting those of us in public broadcasting. But why is this an issue, these issues around um, adverse childhood effects, right? Uh, these experiences, if you will. Why is it a Horizon issue? I wouldn't say it's a horizon issue. Why is it it's an issue? a society issue. Deep, deep Why do we about. care about this? Yeah. We're in the middle of everything, right? We work with the hospitals, the doctors, the members, the community health workers. We got 50% market share. We can make a difference. And we're doing a lot of great things already. Marianne can tell you about that. We think we can take ACEs, integrate it into what we're already doing, and make a big difference for a ton of people. And we're happy to do it. We think it's our responsibility, not alone, but together. we got to collaborate. It's the only way. Talk about this, the ACEs, as they've talked about, adverse childhood experiences. Again, let's try to be a little more specific. There are 10 of them that, that, that I've read about. Are we talking about if a, if a child has a parent with a substance abuse problem, if a, parent, a child has a parent or parents who are, uh, there's a lot of domestic strife or there's divorce or separation or... Uh, what other kinds of things are we talking about? Um, it could be the loss of a parent, loss of a sibling, grandparent, violence in neighborhoods, um, poverty. All of those come together to really create the constellation of factors that put children's health at risk in the moment. But I think to your earlier question, why is it important? Because we know that ACEs unaddressed have lifelong impacts on people's physical and, and mental health status. Break it down well. We're talking about heart. The issue of heart disease keeps coming up as well as cancer, correct? Yes, heart disease, How? cancer. That. Because any of these stressors, these toxic stressors, impact negatively the body because it kind of um, drops your immune system, right? Because the immune system is directed toward the stress and it also stimulates your central nervous system in ways that cause stress on the heart, um, on your immune system, um, frankly, on every aspect of your body because that when that stress happens, it triggers the sympathetic nervous 
nervous system mm. that then impacts every part of the body. So imagine children not knowing what to do, not knowing how to frame those issues. And so they just be, begin to integrate that stress without the tools to know how to cope with it. And that's what we really aim to address. Mm. Let's follow up on this. There are economic considerations here that as happened. well. Talk about them a little bit. Without a doubt. Uh, we're on the movement toward value-based care. Right, the old model was people get sick and then we pay claims. Pay for service. Pay for service. Moving right? away. Moving away. Value-based care. Get a flu shot. Don't get the flu. This is the same thing. And traditionally, health insurers haven't really been involved in social determinants. What Marianne's talking about is groundbreaking. Social determinants of health. Social determinants of health. It's groundbreaking. But we're talking about working with community health workers. We're talking about navigating the system. You get sick, you're not used to navigating the system. How do I find a good doctor? How do I get an appointment? How do I get there? We drive people to appointments. Uh, all of that. There's a lot of things that cause issues and there's a lot of people out there aren't getting the care that they need and they don't know where to start so we think we could help it's interesting that uh, horizon's also partnering with one of the other entities we know well rwj barnabas health on these yes. social determinants of health is that a model that's happening more and more that organizations like yours uh health insurance providers and and healthcare providers, hospital systems are collaborating on these issues? Yes, we had an, really an amazing collaboration in the city of Newark and four zip codes with Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas, where we co-funded community health workers to address social determinants, the burden of where people live having such an impact on overall health. And social determinants, Dave talked about it and I've talked about it, but I don't want to assume people know what we're talking about. So social determinants are, so it's based on the theory that where I live has more to do with my overall health than anything else. My zip whether, code. My zip code, my block, my neighborhood. And so it's transportation, food insecurity, violence, even ability to have housing. How does housing impact what I do with my income? How do I distribute that? And so we have come together in an amazing program where we actually have an integrated team, both from Horizon and Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas, engaging the community, funding community health workers who are trusted and relevant to our members who are disproportionately impacted by social determinants. And over the next three years, we will be rolling that program now in four zip codes out to about 75 zip codes. It is powerful, and, and I'm curious about this. I mentioned the economic part. Other than making a difference in people's lives, does this have the potential, Dave, to actually lower overall healthcare costs? Without a doubt. Um, Value-based care. Think about getting a flu shot right. versus waiting until you get the flu and getting admitted to the hospital. This is the same thing. We think if we can help people early on, help people stay healthy, they're going to be out of the hospital. Uh, they're going to go see their doctor when they ought to see their doctor. Preventive care pay off, pays off big time at the end of the day. We believe that there's a real ROI in this uh, for us. We are doing it because it's the right thing to do, but we do think there's an ROI in it for us too. And finally, as it relates to ACEs, um, the whole question of early intervention mm -hmm. is also part of what Dave's talking about as well. Absolutely. These adverse childhood experiences, stepping in earlier as opposed to saying, well, you know, you'll get through it and, or, or just ignoring it as a society is incredibly irresponsible, not to mention incredibly expensive. Absolutely. And that's why as we roll out this, our value-based strategy and our social determinant strategy, we will integrate the training to identify ACEs into every person that touches that child. So the identification is immediate right. and the intervention is immediate as well.
I want to thank you both for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you, Steve. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. We are thrilled once again to be joined by Christine Norbert Beyer, who is Commissioner of New Jersey Department of Children and Families. Good to see you, Commissioner. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here. This subject, right, there's research about this. There's a report coming yeah. out. There's some private funding from a couple of foundations, the Burt Foundation, the Nicholson Foundation, $2 million of seed money to be involved in this. Yeah. Um, why are these horrific experiences for children, for children so important? To well, all of us. I was going to say, it's important because it's not specific to any one group. Um, you know, when we think about child abuse and adversity, you know, that happens in childhood, you know, lots of times it's easier to think it's happening to someone else or it happens to, you know, those people over there, when in reality what the study showed, the ACES study, is that... Um, you know, adversity in childhood really is very prevalent and um, it touches everybody. I think the original study said 67% right. of individuals have at least one adversity in their childhood. By the way, when the commissioner re refers to ACEs, that is in fact adverse childhood experiences yeah, as a sorry. study yeah. about this. <clears throat> and by the way, for those, it's interesting, you were with us the first time on State of Affairs. You talked about your department mm -hmm. and part of what is going on is trying to educate the public as to who you are, yeah. what you do, and why it matters. How has that evolved over the last, say, six months? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it continues to evolve, and um, there's a lot of work that we've been doing, that I've been doing out meeting with families, meeting with constituents. Um, I started a listening tour. And so really having the opportunity to listen directly to the families that we serve every day, the youth that we serve who's, you know, receive our services or, um, you know, live in some of the programs um, that we fund throughout the state, you know, we've, I've been, in getting to hear from them, it really has been eye-opening. Um, and while um, the services, I think, are um, really helpful for those families, um, you know, I've, what I'm finding is it's not enough. There's not enough. What are you looking for from the department? Um, you know, I think... Or from government overall? I think most times when people think about um, the work that we do in our department, uh, they do think child abuse and neglect, and so it's about... It's you a know, big piece of it, but not the totality well, of it. that's right, and that's some of what we talked about. And so, you know, my opportunity now to hear from families has really been about... Um, that they're struggling financially, that, um, you know, I think you have had on other shows about child care. And, That's right. That's um, part of our know. commissioner, great segue. Yeah. The Right from the Start NJ initiative, you'll see it up right there, birth to three. Yeah. And, and yeah. you, and, you and, and Carol Johnson, other members of the administration, we talked to the commissioner of health yeah. today as well, okay. Dr. Hall. several agencies, several departments in state government responsible for children in one way or another, right? Absolutely, yeah. And the Department of Education, That's I would right. say, you know, that we partner together probably four or five departments um, pretty significantly on some really serious issues that impact children and, excuse me, children and families. And that includes this ACEs issue. It's interesting. It doesn't fall simply into your department. 
No, I think that, you know, we work to prevent ACEs. We work to prevent child abuse through prevention initiatives and prevention efforts. Um, but yeah, it's not. I mean, it's a health crisis, you know, toxic stress, um, how that impacts children. It impacts their ability to learn. And so the work that we then um, do with the Department of Education um, and our other partners in the community, it's a public health crisis. And so it's not one department is you know, not going to solve this. We were talking to the First Lady uh, about this issue as well. And she seems uh, extremely engaged and interested. Yeah. There are several members of the administration mm -hmm. here tonight. Why is a night like this? We're folks in the private sector mm -hmm. together, foundations, corporations, and leaders in government like yourself and the First Lady here. What do you expect out of a night like this? Well, I think it raises awareness that it's not, you know, it's not just a government issue, um, that it's really public-private partnership. And, you know, that's the way I think that we do some of our best work, and that's how we're going to get the best results for the residents of our state. Um, and, you know, we're going to improve outcomes for children is... Um, is through public-private partnership. And some of the, you know, the best... Um, things that I've been involved with in the past, both in New Jersey and, you know, working nationally, was when public and private comes together. So when it comes to ACEs, uh, um, adverse childhood um, situations, adverse childhood experiences, if you will, do you see this commissioner as, I don't want to overstate it, an, a national epidemic? Um, I don't know that is it's it a, a crisis. Do you know what? It's, um, it's a significant issue that needs to be addressed. I think there's a moral imperative around addressing ACEs. You I mean, know, for all of us. For across the country. Someone says, yeah. that's not my kid, that's not good enough. Do you know what? Because it impacts every child. It's not just kids who are involved with protective services. There are majority of families um, where children are living in adversity every day, they're living with toxic stress every day, um, that never rise to the attention or the level of our department. And I think that's what's so powerful about this, is that it's not those people over there, it's us in this room. Well, if 67% um, have uh, at least one childhood, yeah, adversity in childhood. The majority have. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and there's a lot of it before I, you know, because I know there are a whole range of other things going on tonight, including the event we want to be sensitive to the commissioner's time. What, what I'm curious about is you, you try to prevent is one thing, but mm -hmm. then to deal with, to treat, to help, it's the other part of it, right? Absolutely. I think we were having a conversation earlier today uh, with Dr. Burke Harris, and she was saying it's kind of a chicken and the egg you situation. You wrote a very compelling book on this subject. Oh, right. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hearing her speak about this, you know, can really, I think, convert a lot of people to why this topic is so important. Um, but it really is kind of a chicken and the egg thing where... Um, you know, we need to treat, we need to try and prevent ACEs, but then we also need to treat them. And it's kind of like what comes first. If we don't help individuals as children um, have their ACEs mitigated um, or someone step in to try and help them resolve issues and, you know, they grow up to be adults that um, then have Are they more health likely? issues or, and then, you know, the cycle can repeat. Of adverse childhood experiences. Yeah, yeah. The cycle continues. Yeah, yeah. Um, Commissioner, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you. It, like you said, it's interesting. There are many departments, many members of the cabinet, Absolutely. governor's cabinet dealing with this issue, and we appreciate you joining us again. Yeah, thank you so much. You got it. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. 
Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the PNC Foundation, St. Joseph's Health, Rowan University, NJM Insurance Group, and by MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by Jaffe Communications, where business, media, and government converge in New Jersey. NJM Insurance Company has been serving New Jersey policyholders for more than 100 years. But just who are NJM's policyholders? They're the men and women who teach our children, the public sector employees who maintain our infrastructure, the workers who craft our manufactured goods, and New Jersey's next generation of leaders, the people who make our state a great place to call home. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered.